Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, let's just, uh, before we begin uh, looking at His Word, let's just ask the Lord to bless uh, our hearts. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that uh, we have, uh, it's our tradition as a church, Lord, to devote ample time to the uh, proclamation of the Word of God. And Lord, it's because we believe it's inspired by you. Uh, these are not just words of prophets. Lord, these are the words uh, um, moved by the Holy Spirit. Lord, these are the truths that you want to convey to your people and to this world. Lord, you've got a great plan for our lives. You've got a great calling um, for us. You've got a great hope in store for us. And so, Lord, we need to know these things, and we need to live by them. So we ask you to bless uh, your word to our hearts and to our lives, and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking today about leadership and uh, the high calling of leadership. How many of you um, watched the uh, memorial service uh, for the Humboldt Broncos last Sunday night? It was on TV. Maybe you watch it. Um, it was tremendous. Um, absolutely tremendous. And um, different, uh, you know, uh, church leaders get up and, and had, you know, said various things. And then the, uh, the chaplain, the team chaplain got up. And he's a local pastor uh, from that area. His name is Sean Brando. And, boy, he, I was just so proud of him because he just proclaimed Jesus so effectively and powerfully as not just a, a representative of Christ, but he really a representative of all those uh, young men and all those people who lost their lives or were injured. Um, and I thought, you know, I don't know how many opportunities he would get like that, perhaps the only one. And he stepped into it, and he fulfilled his calling. I, I, don't, I was kind of thinking as I was watching, I wonder how many people are watching this across Canada. I'm, I'm expecting, you know, it was the, uh, the national news time on Sunday night, I'm expecting at least a million people or more would have been watching and, and listening. Um, it was tremendous. Uh, that's sort of, you know, one of those things where you just never know what God's going to call you to do. And if you're, you know, aspire to uh, leadership, those are the kind of moments that God might have for you, and you just don't know. What we're looking at this morning is uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and, and Titus. Uh, we call them the, the pastoral epistles. And... If you want to know what a pastoral or a church ministry looks like, you just read these books, and it pretty well tells you. Uh, we've been following the Gospel Project um, curriculum, which is what our children are using. So Alex already you know, showed you uh, what the kids are, the passages, and we're looking at the same passages. So hopefully this week when you go home and you, you share around your table, you're talking to your children about some of these same things. Um, the Gospel Project material kind of, looked at it as being primarily for, for pastors. And certainly Paul, is he's coming to the end of his life and he's delegating his ministry, particularly to Timothy and also to Titus. He's basically preparing these younger men to pick up uh, his baton of, of leadership. Um, the books describe what I would call a mature spirituality. So they're not just for pastors. They're for any church leaders uh, anybody who aspires to lead, and of course for the church. The, it's not just like, okay, 
you know, leaders read this and the rest of you forget about it. No, we all need to know what's in these books. We all need to aspire to a mature spirituality. So whether God actually puts you in a, an office of leadership, uh, somewhere along in your life, you're a leader. You're going to lead somebody. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a teacher, you're a leader. Um, even when you are um, uh, in a, you know, you're growing up and you're going to high school, uh, you you're, have the opportunity to become a leader if you're willing to stand up. And you should aspire to have that kind of mature uh, spirituality. Some of the, just the basic things about it. Um, there's three things that kind of jump out at me. One, it's written to ex uh, stress character over ability. You know, we're big on ability in this world. You know, if you can do the job, you got the job. Well, the Bible looks at character first. Character is the foundation of, of ability, really. If you don't have the character, all the ability in the world is not really going to make you a good leader. And so the Bible stresses character and character growth and character development. Um, these books stress Bible doctrine over our opinion. You know, it's good to have an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. But what matters is God's opinion, God's word. And that's stressed above and beyond uh, opinion. And so it's important for leaders to know what's in the word of God. And then it also, uh, you know, it's talking about orderly conduct and authority in the church. Now, the church is supposed to be run a certain way, and, and it's God's church, and we need to run it his way, not just what we think. Just before we look at those passages, I just wanted to look at a couple of things um, from Hebrews, a couple of things about leading. Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 4. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. <coughs> he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of his people. But the, this is the verse I want to focus on. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. And um, that's really important to remember. You know, you can aspire to lead, but God calls you to lead. And there's a difference. The Bible is saying, you don't call yourself, okay? Um, and, and I've had different people over uh, my time in ministry say, you know, I'd like to be a pastor. And, you know, one of the things it's saying is here, you can't take that on yourself. I mean, you should have a, one of the things is you would have a desire to be a leader, but God has a way of developing and showing you that. And part of it is through other people, of other people coming along and saying, I think you would perhaps fit in this role or... You should, you know, pursue this. And, and so you're kind of moved in a direction. Uh, and uh, that's part of discerning the calling of God. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That, uh, because I can remember um, in the uh, mid-'80s walking the roads of Lornville and praying to God about this burden on my heart. And I knew that verse, and I did not want to call myself. And so I, I had a difficult time trying to discern what was coming out of my own mind and heart, and what was from God. And I spent a lot of time wrestling with that. I expect Steve did as well, because you don't just do that. God's got to call you. The other verse um, that I think is related is in Hebrews uh, 13, uh, chapter 17. 
And it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. So God puts leaders in place, particularly in the church, to lead people. And leaders uh, must be worthy of being followed. And followers need to follow leaders. That's kind of how it works. And as Paul said, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's all any Christian leader can do. If a Christian leader is not really following Christ, you know, people aren't really going to be following them. So yet if the, if the person is exemplifying some of these things in the pastoral letters, uh, then it's incumbent upon the church to follow leaders. And um, I, was, I thought maybe it was going to be announced today, but it was already announced that... Um, you know, our church is going to be looking for another pastor because somebody's leaving. And uh, you'll be looking for somebody young and full of energy and all that kind of stuff. But it's an exciting time to be thinking about that, you know, about uh, what God wants to do in, in, you know, with the future of our church. It's, it's an exciting thing, and I, I hope you enter into that. I hope you think about that and talk about that and pray about that. That, that God would give us his specific direction. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now I'm going to read verse 11 through 16. I always listen for pages rustling. I hear a lot of pages. Bring your Bibles to church. I know you can read the screen, um, but I think we lose something when we don't bring our own Bibles. I think you should bring a Bible and you should get your pen out and you should... Write in your Bible and, or take notes and, and, and look at the text and immerse yourself in it because I think that's what God intends for us. So let's read verses 11 to 16. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which is given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And when I read that passage and, and I looked at it and, and just really what jumped out to me was that sentence, that phrase, watch your life and your doctrine closely. That's just really important for leaders and those who aspire to do. Because really the first thing about being a leader is you're setting an example. A leader is setting an example, good or bad. You know, it says here, don't look any, anybody, uh, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Uh, I don't have that problem anymore because uh, nobody knows, nobody thinks that. Uh, but they once did. And even though I entered into the ministry as kind of, you know, I think I was 36 or whatever I was, um, and I was young as a leader for sure. I was pretty green. Um, and, and so I guess it doesn't really matter what age. There's always somebody older or been around longer kind of looking at a leader and saying, listen, son, let me tell you how it is. Um, but, but God calls young leaders to lead. Timothy wasn't very old here. I suspect Timothy was in his 20s. 
when Paul, he had been following, he had been Paul's co-worker and protege for a long time. And uh, maybe he was in his 30s, but he was a young man. And Paul was investing a lot in Timothy because Paul just wasn't a pastor of a church. And now there was Timothy going to be a pastor of a church. He was, in a way, going to be a pastor of churches and leaders. So it was a, quite, a, quite a calling. Um, so how's the leader going to do that? How do you uh, get so people don't look down on you because you're young? Well, the leader needs to set a Christ-like example. That's really the, maybe the most important thing. Um, you know, the leader has to lead, he has to show the example, and the, and the church has to follow that. Um, you both have a role to play. It's kind of like a, a nice dance, you know. You, you want to be in step with each other. That's really important. Um, how do we uh, set an example? Uh, well, he talks about um, set an example for the believers in speech. Um, there's a verse that uh, I um, always think about from Ephesians chapter 4 about what comes out of your mouth. Verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's quite, uh, that's quite a mouthful. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, if it's not worth saying, don't say it. If it's going to hurt somebody or tear somebody down, or if it's going to be just kind of a negative thing, just shut up. Don't say it. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who will listen. I know that it's, you know, uh, it's kind of human nature to just rattle on and just say whatever need, you think needs to be said. But there's a lot of stuff that's said that doesn't need to be said. There's a lot of stuff that we say that we should never say because what, it's, what it'll do is tear down people instead of build them up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's all the junk that's cut, that comes out. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, that goes for leaders as well as followers. That goes for just Christians. Watch what you're saying. Be careful with your words. Words have great power to build up or to, or to beat down. And so make sure you're setting an example with uh, how you taught. Um, he also said, you know, uh, set an example in life, in love, and in faith. Um, over in Philippians uh, chapter 1, Paul said, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, you know, there's a lot in that. I, you know, I, you could think about what would be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, conduct yourselves in a matter of obedience. You know, Jesus is the Lord of the church. And so a leader needs to follow Jesus uh, or else people aren't going to follow him. Um, righteous conduct, you know, just because we're forgiven doesn't mean we can just go and, and do what we want. We ought to live and, and, and conduct ourselves in a way that honors the Lord who saved us. A righteous conduct worthy of the gospel. You know, we need to have an authentic love for people. Um, sometimes you might wonder if uh, leaders love people or love leading. Um, I would say that when I was first a green leader, I, I loved leading more than I loved people. Sometimes we used to have this joke, you know, church would be great if it wasn't for all the people. <laughs> um, and it's because leading's got some perks, right? Like you kind of, you know, you kind of get to be... Uh, 
directing things and moving things and, and organizing things. Um, but you really have to develop a love for people. And, and over the years, God kind of made that more important to me than, than actual leading. Um, set an example in, in speech and in life and love and faith and in purity. Um, a faith that is growing. None of us have arrived yet. No leader has ever arrived, uh, whether you're a young leader or, or, or an older leader. Um, you know, we can't somehow think that, you know, because we're in a position of leadership that we've arrived and people need to bow down to us. That's not biblical leadership. That might be worldly leadership. That might be how it is at your work or how it is in politics, but that's not how it is in the Lord's church. And then this idea of, of purity, uh, treating people with chastity and respect. It's, it's super important, particularly for male leaders, in how you treat women, how you look at women, how you talk with women, because uh, it's very simple and easy just to let your mouth rattle on and let your mind wander, and you've got to control that. Um, so Paul said, you know, treat uh, older women like your, your mother and, and treat your younger women like your sisters and, and treat people with chastity and respect. Those are important things in, in setting an example. Did you ever um, say to yourself, I, I wish I knew them what I know now? Especially as a parent, right? Well, as a pastor, it's the same thing. I wish I knew when I was starting out what I knew now. I wish I had all this wisdom with all that energy. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, that's how it goes. We, we grow and we develop, and uh, then we look back and we say, wow, I, I really would have done things different if I had had that wisdom back then. But that's part of the, the developmental process. And we're all like that. We're all a work in progress. And we're all, you know, at the wheel, right? The potter is shaping all of us, and uh, he shapes us all in a different way according to his will. So uh, leadership is setting an example, and a young leader needs to set an example. And conversely, the church is not supposed to look down on leaders because they're young or because they're still growing. The church has a right to expect godly character, a uh, level of spiritual maturity, one of the things we look for when we're talking about prospective leaders in churches, are they teachable? That's one of the, the things I look for, and Steve and I have talked about that before. You look for, is a person teachable? If a person isn't teachable, they're not going to make a very good leader. If they think they know it all, uh, they, uh, you know, it's not going to go over well. But if they're teachable and, and, and making progress, that's what you look for, somebody who is willing to grow. Um, Church members can be very fond of telling leaders what they should be doing. Believe me. Uh, it's just kind of how it goes. It goes with the territory. Uh, whether the leaders are young or are not so young. Um, so I would say this to, to church members. Just remember something uh, about leadership. God has called them to lead, not you. Okay? Now, I think that's really important. You know, in other words, there's a role that we all have to play, and God you know, call certain people to leadership, and God doesn't call everybody to leadership. I'm thinking about, you know, leadership in the church. Um, so you have the right to expect character, but you also should expect change. Uh, one of the safeguards of 
of you know, uh, calling new leaders or new pastors or developing new leaders is we have a plurality of leadership. I can remember days when you know, the pastor uh, ran everything. Nothing could happen without the pastor's say-so. He had to be present every time anything ever happened. And it was sort of this lopsided view of what ministry really is. And, and thank heavens we have uh, in our church and, and I think in a lot of churches today, there's more of a plurality of leadership. That's the safeguard, because anybody can run amok, but when you have godly people uh, in a plurality of leadership and a, and a godly praying people, I think it's a good guarantee of, of uh, reasonably good leadership. Um, not bossy, critical people. Godly, praying people. So you have to kind of figure out which camp you're in, because it's very easy to be bossy and critical. I watched the game last night, and I watched the game the, you know, a couple nights before that, it, you know, you know, it's, I really kind of took issue with the refereeing. Because uh, I'm pretty bossy and critical in my armchair. Um, and aren't we all? Um, and it probably makes the game rather unpleasant for my wife, who can hardly bother to watch it anyway. And then I'm just kind of going on, right? Um, the whole point... The whole point of the whole church is that we all follow the will of Christ. That's the whole point. And so we work together. We all have our roles to play. A young leader, by necessity, will lead different than a past leader. So you might have had a leader in another church, and he led this way, and you come to our church, and the leader's leading this way. That's okay. You didn't have to lead the way your leader led in the direction, in that context, because this is different. And so rather than say, you know, they should be doing this or should be doing that, I think you should just pray for them. That's better. Because sometimes criticism can tear down a leader. And I think Timothy had a problem with that. And I think a lot of young leaders didn't have a whole lot of confidence. You know, God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Timothy was an anxious kind of guy. Have a little wine for your stomach's sake because he was always churning. He was unsure of himself, and yet God put him into that leadership role. He needed people to build him up, not tear him down. The other major thing here, I think, in this passage is leadership is based on the Word of God, which is these 66 books, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. <coughs> The Word of God has got to be prominent in a leader's life, and particularly in a pastor's life. Uh, they say, I, you know, I guess with good authority, it takes something like 10,000 hours to become a skilled tradesman or develop a real skill. Um, I remember a friend of uh, Jeff's, can't think of his name right now, guitar player, really good guitar player. And he used to come here a bit and play ball with his bit and played uh, some guitar a bit. And I was talking to him, and he said, yeah, yeah, you know, I read somewhere at 10,000 hours. So he said, that's probably what I put into my guitar playing. And I kind of thought to myself, well, that's why I'm not nearly as good as him, because I haven't put anywhere near that kind of time in the guitar playing. That's a lot of time. That's 2,000 hours a year. That's your working life. So it's five years of working life, and that's sort of how we look at developing a skill. You know, so if you want to be a nurse, for instance, you'll go to school for maybe four years, um, if you want to be an RN, and you will learn those skills, and then you'll go out, and, and you, that's those first couple of years, you're putting those 
that head knowledge into skills, and it takes time to develop that. Um, if you're going to be an electrician, you're going to start out being an apprentice, and then you're going to you know, become a journeyman, and then you eventually become a, like, I don't know if they use the term much more anymore, but a master craftsman, somebody who teaches others, somebody who knows and has that skill. Uh, so it takes time to do that. And um, it's the same thing with pastors and elders. We have to become competent in the Word of God. We just can't dibble and dabble with it. We need to know the Word of God. Um, the Bible is our manual. It's, it's our library. It's our inspiration. It's our primary source of truth. We just can't run to Google for everything. Because I'll tell you, the church will crumble and die if we have that kind of uh, practice. It's not that you don't not use it. It's really, it's way easier to Google where's a verse and to dig out the 50-pound Strong's book I've got. Uh, and sometimes I'll get the Strong's out, but, but you know, if I'm going to go there and, and then I'm going to go and, and, and read about what it says about that verse, and I'm going to read somebody else's work and just take all their work and take it into here, I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I think God wants us to do our own work. And he wants to know the word so that we can become skilled in it. Um, and there's reasons for that. Um, the Bible says don't be moved by every wind of doctrine. Things are always changing. You know, there's always these new teachings and new revelations and new, new, new. And, and, and we're not supposed to be just kind of moved by that. We need to be rooted in the word of God so that we're not just kind of shaken by whatever's coming down. There's always <coughs> new fads. If you, um, I, I got in my library uh, last year. It was pretty easy. I just get rid of all the fad books. There was a lot of them. You know, books that didn't really stand the test of time. Maybe they were good, <coughs> excuse me, for the time they come out, but they were books I would never read again. Books that aren't even relevant today. And I kept books that, I, that are kind of timeless. Books that are more about the Bible than about how to, how to do church ministry, because church ministry tends to uh, be very faddish. Um, we can't be worried about what other groups are always teaching. Uh, we need to know what, what the Bible says and what we believe, and we need to teach that. Um, so it's expected of elders, and you can read it in <coughs> chapter uh, 3. Um, says that an elder must be uh, um, apt to teach, able to teach. So it's expected of elders and pastors that you need to be able to preach and teach the Word of God more than any other leader. Now, other leaders, you know, it's great if deacons have that same desire and the same ability, but it's absolutely critical for uh, elders and pastors to be able to teach the Word. Some people have a more administrative role, yet if you're going to be a pastor, you better be skilled in the Word of God. That's really important. And then the last part, uh, last couple of verses, um, verse 15, be diligent in these matters, setting an example and being skilled in the Word, Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That word persevere, that's a great word. Um, I looked it up in the dictionary. It means to continue in a course of action even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. In other words, keep going, don't quit, even if it's tough. That's what it means to persevere. God expects it, and the church needs it, and leaders need to get good at that. And it contains 
a crucial word, and it's the word severe. You like things that are severe? We tend not to like severe. You know, it's like, well, it's like sever, and it's like cutting, and it hurts, and it's like uncomfortable. And I looked up the word, and Steve used the word last week, meno. We talked about meno a lot last week, the Greek word meno, meaning to abide or remain or continue. And so this word here is epimeno, and so epi is a, a prefix, and, and, it, and it intensifies the meaning of meno. And so that's where they get the idea of, you know, remaining or continuing in your calling. And, and epi means we're dead serious about this. You need to persevere. You need to continue even if it's severe. So as a leader, you can expect trials. Um, you can expect criticism, even though people should would be better off to pray for you than criticize you. But you can expect to be criticized. Um, you can expect the spiritual battle to be severe. And God says, persist in it no matter what. Don't run away from it. Why? You might be having trouble in, in your relationships. Uh, you may be having trouble at work. You may be having just personal struggling, and, and it's kind of severe, and you, you want to get away from it. You would just wish that God would take all this severity out of your life. But you know what it's there for? It's to grow you. If God considers that character is really about the most important thing about a, a mature spirituality, if God upholds character like honesty and integrity and, and, and commitment and those things, uh, godliness that are really important, then severity is how you develop that. You learn your best lessons when things are severe. If it's just easy, easy peasy and you're going along, you're going to, um, you're going to get soft. Now, Glenda and I, we've been getting soft lately, I have to say. Um, so this winter, and we've done some of this before, we started uh, you know, doing some exercising. That's pretty hilarious, but there we are in our living room. You should see us. But, and we have this program we found online. It's called Eccentrics, and um, it's a lot of stretch and stuff. And, but it's this young lady. She's like 25, and, and she's moving really too fast, and you know, she, I can't keep up. And, but then, we, then I knew that her, it's a mother-daughter, and the mother founded this thing. So we got the mother's DVD. Came in the mail the other day. It's way better. Slower. <laughs> deliberate. It's like, oh. She just, it's like conducting an orchestra. And it's called, and listen, I'm serious. We, we recommend it to, to you, because like, there's a lot of you our age that are soft and pudgy and, and <laughs> stiff. And it's called Aging Backwards. You like that? I like that. That's what we're trying to do is, is, is age backwards. Um, <coughs> and she said the reason that, you know how you get, you know, your joints get sore. And, and she said the reason your joints get sore and things don't move so well is your muscles are all shrunken and tightened up. And you need to get loosened up and, and loosen everything up. And then your joints get loosened up and you'll just be happy. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, but it's like exercise. You can't, you can't have a healthy body if you don't exercise it. And you can't have a healthy, you won't have a healthy character unless you allow God to exercise it. So quit complaining about your severity. I know it's hard. We love to complain. But God gives you severity for a reason. It's to grow us. <coughs> okay, we're going to look, just look at the next passage, which is found in 2 Timothy Excuse me. Second Timothy four. 
verses uh, 1 to 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Pretty good motivation. In view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I remember being taught these passages in, in pastoral class. And, and uh, that was way back when we were starting out. And I, as I read that, I'm thinking, you know, when you're winding up, it's just how much this means. What sticks out to me in this passage is this phrase, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I read a quote I wanted to share. It's good for leaders and it's good for followers to think about this. It's a quote by Paul Tripp, who um, many of you have probably read some of his books. Um, it's what he says about pastoring. And this is why it's important. It's not just important for pastors to know these things. It's important for people to know these things so they know what God expects of a pastor, particularly. <coughs> As a pastor... You've been called to be an ambassador. Well, actually, we all have been called to be ambassadors, haven't we? Okay. There's only one thing an ambassador is commissioned to do, represent. You have been called to a distinctly representative approach to your life and ministry. You have been called in every single thing you do to represent the message, methods, and character of the Savior King who sent you. Well, that's a really good. That's a really good focus to have for your life. You know, when we commission these folks to go to Honduras, they're going down there to represent Jesus. And it's not the people down there that have never heard of Jesus before, but they need to see him represented a lot because we all need to see Jesus represented a lot. But particularly, the world needs to see Jesus represented accurately. So this means ministry is not about your dreams for success or your desire for respect. No, it is only ever about him. Remember, ministry success is never an endorsement of your character. It's an endorsement of God's revelation of his own character. There is tremendous freedom in this ambassadorial calling. God doesn't burden you 
with the responsibility to produce the change of heart. Now, I know a lot of you, you have a burden for family and friends to come to the Lord, and it burdens you because you can't seem to make them change their heart. None of us can do that. We can't change anybody's heart. That's God's realm. God doesn't burden you with the responsibility to produce the change of heart. The growth of the church, a man can't grow a church. It's not an organization where you, you know, you, you just kind of build, build it up and, and you do all these things to get a bunch of people. Like, that's not really a church. A church is it's people that God calls. God builds the church. God doesn't burden you with the responsibility for the gospel success that only he can produce. He simply asks you to faithfully represent him. And he promises you every grace you need to do that. We all need to remember that. Spiritual work is God's work. We present ourselves as living sacrifices, obedient and submissive, and say, Lord, call me. Do with me what you want. Uh, lead me. Use me. And the results are up to God. So leadership is a commitment to represent Jesus Christ. Um, and what's the motivation? Well, the motivation is what he started off saying. You know, someday, Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. And there's two kinds of judgment coming. One is the great white throne judgment, when all who are lost appear before God and are judged for their sins. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're heading for that day. You're going to meet the judge of the universe, and uh, he's going to pronounce sentence on you for not having repented of your sins and trusted in Christ. The other judgment is for those of us who have done that, that we have uh, heard the gospel and we've realized that we're uh, accountable to God for our sins, and the sentence for sin is hell and death, and we've turned from that, we turn to Christ, and we've asked Christ to save us from our sins, and he's redeemed us, he's atoned, we're forgiven, we are loosed from our sins, but we're going to appear before Jesus, and we're going to kind of give an account of our life. This is what I did, Jesus, with the, life, the new life you gave me. I got saved, uh, I came to Christ in August of 1981. And it was drilled into me pretty good right from the beginning. You better be prepared for that day when you get to give an account of your life to your Savior. And it's kind of just always been there in front of me all these years. And so I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that's going to matter then, is to hear those words from him in some way, shape, or form. That's the motivation to, to do these things, to discharge all the duties of whatever God has called us to do. Uh, again, he talks about the word of God here. <coughs> Preach the word. Um, I can't remember where I got this. Uh, I was just reading so much and I didn't take note, but uh, I, somebody had said it this way. This means proclaim with a formality of Spurgeon. Formality, authority, and gravity that the word demands. We're dealing with eternal things here. These are important things. I think preaching needs some humor. You've got to, you know, lighten it up every once in a while. But listen, it needs a passion and a delivery 
that conveys truth. There's a weight behind uh, what we're trying to say here. And if the preacher's not moved by that weight, then probably nobody else will be moved either. Um, so if you're going to preach, if you're going to aspire to stand before people, whether it's in youth group or Sunday school or on this platform, and deliver the word of God, um, you need to study and pray till it impacts your heart. It needs to move you. It, you, you need to be convinced and convicted about what this stuff is teaching you. You need to be changed by it so that when you get into the, into the opportunity of, of proclaiming it, it's already moved you. You know, you can't get up here and, and tell people to get excited. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You know, and I know it's well-intentioned. You know what gets people excited? It's passion. You don't have to say it. You just have to hear it. And you have to let that passion convey the weight of what God's trying to say so that it'll penetrate our ears and go down into our hearts and we'll think about it. And it'll move us. And if it moves us, that's God can move us. And God can get a hold of our lives. Whether we're worshiping or, or applying the word of God. I was doing some more cleaning out of my office the other day. But I did one. I moved into that office upstairs. I, I just took all my books up there. And I filled the closet with all this stuff. And you know, some of it I haven't opened since the summer of 2010. Usually they say if you haven't opened a box in a year, you can get rid of it. I couldn't just bring myself to get rid of all this stuff. But I started looking through it. All these, you know, there was booklets and and, 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 and curriculum and Bible stuff from the 80s. Like, I, I don't need that stuff anymore. I, 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 You've got to get rid of stuff, right? And um, I've read, I don't know how many, countless hundreds of books. Uh, I've attended a lot of seminars. I tried to learn things from other ministries. And I can honestly say that after being a pastor for 28 years, the, by far the most fruitful thing I've ever studied is this. It's just a way more important. Um, sometimes we, we, we look at the success of another ministry and we say, well, if I could just take some of that, and sometimes there's value in that, but the real value is in taking this word of God and letting God change us and letting God um, work in our context so that we have wisdom for where we're at, not wisdom for where somebody else is, because it's all his word. God wants to equip us so that we can apply it. Um, it says here to be ready to preach the word in season or out of season. Listen, sometimes it's convenient and sometimes it's not. You have an opportunity to witness to somebody and maybe you're waiting for that convenient time when they ask you, tell me all about Jesus. How many times has that happened to you? It doesn't happen that often. So sometimes that's in season. That's what he means. In season is when there's just an Oh, an easy opportunity to step into it and, and you start talking about the things of God. Sometimes it's out of season. What's, what's it like when things are out of season? It's like, it's like somebody uh, trying to sell you a you know, snow shovel in April. Like, you don't want a snow shovel in April. Um, maybe you want a snow shovel in, in November. Uh, um, sometimes it's just not convenient to tell people about God, but you've got to do it anyway. Sometimes God gives you the opportunity, but sometimes you've got to make your own opportunity. And that needs, means you need to speak up. Um, it says here, correct. 
rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The first correction needs to take place is right here. You know, I can honestly say, and I think uh, most pastors would say the same thing, you know, that we, when we kind of wrestle through the word, uh, and I've been, you know, working on this sermon for a couple of weeks, like, you know, God's kind of correcting me. He's kind of, that's what we're supposed to do. It's got to, it's got to change me. You're all saying, I got nothing to say. And so you're working through this, and, and God's kind of correcting, and he's kind of rebuking, he's kind of encouraging, and God's very patient. And, and uh, so you, you take some of that. Um, but then we're supposed to correct and rebuke and encourage who? You. <laughs> it's great. See, after you've been corrected and rebuked and encouraged, then you can go and correct and rebuke and encourage others. You like encouragement? How many of you like encouragement? I do too. How many of you like rebuke? One hand. I mean, we don't like rebuke. Um, but we should. Uh, actually, you know, the Bible says we, we should love it. Um, I want you to find this verse so you'll remember where it is. Proverbs 9, verse 8. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Not interesting? That's what we we like rebuking mockers. They need rebuking, right? Well, the Bible says don't waste your time rebuking a mocker. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Wow, that's really odd. That's like that's like one of those 180 things, right? Like we want to rebuke the mocker and give him a boot, but the wise person they don't need rebuking. Now, God says, yeah, that's who you should rebuke. So um, if you're a mocker, I'm not going to rebuke you. But if you're wise, you need to hear a rebuke once in a while. And sometimes a rebuke is uh, about how you treat leaders. You need to really think about it. Sometimes a rebuke is what comes out of your mouth. Leadership is a commitment to represent Jesus Christ. Leadership is also about keeping your head. That's what it says in Second uh, uh, Timothy. But you keep your head in all situations. Well, that's a good advice. And that's what leadership is. You've got to keep your head. You've got to be calm and collected. Um, leadership carries a responsibility, and it can be heavy. And that may be why few people aspire to lead. But I would say to you that being a disciple of Jesus carries that very definite responsibility. Not just, for, not just leaders, but any disciple. If you're not serving or witnessing or giving, you're shirking your responsibility. And you're going to have to talk to Jesus about that someday. Because you have a commitment to represent Christ. As a pastor, um, you know, we often would say it's like 24-7 calling. Um, it's... Uh, I used to work at Home Hardware over in, 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 uh, in DeBert, and I would put my time in there, and then I'd go home. And I wouldn't think about Home Hardware until the next day. I'd go home. We were building a house out in the country, and, and you know, I was tractoring and raising goats and raising kids and just having a great old time. I didn't give, I didn't give it another thought. Once I you know, drove on the highway and headed, headed for home, coming up Scrabble Hill, I, it was the farthest thing from my mind until... You know, about 6 o'clock the next morning, and then you had to go do it again. Uh, when I got into the ministry, it's just a lot different than that. Like, 
I just started taking it home every night. <laughs> and, and sometimes it keep you up all night. And there's times it, it can be overwhelming. It, it has similarities to running your own business, but we can't fire people. <laughs> See, if you're running your own business, you don't like who you got, you can just get rid of them and get some new people. But when you're a church leader, you can't do that. You've got to work with what you got. We'd like to fire a few people, but. <laughs> so there's this kind of additional weight of spiritual responsibility, high expectations, and, and some demonic attention. I want to share something with you that I'll just probably wind up with this, but I was just thinking back. It was one of the most pivotal times in my life, and uh, it was uh, in 2005. And, um, you know, we were in church in Sullivan's River. We had been there about, uh, I guess, about uh, 11, 10, 11 years. And, you know, first eight, nine years were just, people were getting saved and baptized. And it was just, it was tremendous. And then, and then um, stuff started happening. And it was just kind of this division. And I couldn't really get my fingers on it, you know. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. And, and um, one day, one week, in one week, God clearly, clearly showed me what was going on. In two successive Sundays, two prominent people in the church came and said this to me, the exact same words. Everything will be okay with the church if everything is okay between me and you. And so I heard it the first time, and I was like, I didn't say anything. I just kind of, oh, wow, that's quite a thing to say. But then, because a very prominent person in the church, then the next Sunday, another very prominent person in the church came and said the exact same thing to me. And it was like God saying, you see, that's the problem. So, uh, yeah, now I know what the problem is or who the problem is. What am I supposed to do about it? So I can remember in March of 2005, or February, um, I had gone on a pastor's trip to Israel. And it was just a highlight of my life. There was about 15 of us, and we ran all over Israel. We had a tremendous time. And um, I remember sitting in the Toronto airport, and, you know, we're waiting for the plane, you know, to come back to Halifax. And one of the guys said, how long have you been, at, you know, in Sullivan's River? And, and I just said, too long. Because <laughs> that's how I felt. I, I had to go back and face this, you know. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, because it's one thing to know what the problem is, but, you know, what are you going to do about it? So um, I can remember very clearly, after I got home, might have been the next day, and I come down and, you know, we lived on the church property, which is very interesting. And I wouldn't recommend to anybody, but we did. So the, the church building is here, and our house is right here, and then I had an office in a little separate building here. So I come down to the office and, and have devotions in the morning, and I can remember walking up to the door and, and, and coming in the door, and I just had this confusion overwhelm me. Like, I just, and I knew it was demonic. Like, I just, that's what it says in, in uh, James 3 about, you know, confusion and every evil work. I just felt this confusion and this weight and this beating down. And, you know, and so I went in and I, I was, uh, I got the Bible out and I was praying, God, you know, what's going on here? And, and so I'm reading in, uh, I read about David and Goliath. That was in my devotions that day. And, and I read the words of Goliath. And he said, uh, 
Give me a man that we might fight together. I said, Lord, I'm not a fighter. I don't want to do that. God said, you got to do that. You're the pastor. You have to protect the church from these two people. So I did. God gave me the, the vision or the wisdom that day and the courage that day. And I walked out of there with no confusion because I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. He showed me the problem, and he showed me the solution. And so what I did over a period of time was I just drug all that out into the open. And those two people left eventually, and the church was fine without them. church is doing fine today without them. Uh, keep your head. Oh, my gosh. I just lost it. Um, You get two other pastors in this church. And sometimes it's like that for them. You know, leadership is life in a glass house, and people like to throw stones. And uh, the devil loves it when leaders fall. And so we need prayer. And, um, you know, God promotes prayer. You know what the devil promotes? Criticism and gossip. So be careful. And I'll say this. Christianity is life in a glass house. You know, leaders are being watched, but you're being watched. Your personal data is who knows where, right? Your personal data is out there, right? I'll tell you something that's out there too is your character is on display all the time. The kind of person you are... You know, you think you can hide and you think you can put up a facade and a wall and nobody knows you? Uh-uh. It's pretty obvious who you are. You can't hide your character. People watch to see if your talk and your walk are together. You got spiritual beings watching your life right now. And they're watching your life to see if you're going to be faithful or if you're going to be easy pickings. Because there's two kinds of spiritual beings, good and evil. You know what we leaders do? We watch your life. Don't we, Steve? We do. You know, sometimes you wonder, how do we, how do we pick leaders? Or how, do we, you know, how does somebody get to be a leader? Well, I'll tell you what we watch for. We watch for character, being teachable. We, that gets our attention. Ability, that's important, but... Character and teachability are really important. We watch for that. You know, the only private space you got is in your head. Oh, wait a minute. God's in there. <laughs> oh, man, there's no getting away from that. Lots of room. That's a good thing. God is there. You know, you are being watched, and, and your, your, your character's out there. But you've got this tremendous resource. And um, I'll just close with the last passage. I'm just going to read it. And, and, but it's Titus, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no 
to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's tough. It's hard to say no. The attractions are very strong. But the grace of God teaches you to say no. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's a pretty evil age. All kinds of traps and temptations. And yet, the grace of God can give you what you need to live a self-controlled life. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You want to live a godly life? You put Jesus Christ front and center. And you don't take your eyes off him. You feed on his word and you obey it. That's just not enough to intellectually take the word into your head. You have got to live it out. It's got to flow out of your mouth. It's got to flow out of what you do. It's got to become part of what you think so that godliness becomes part of who you are, not just who you say you are. It, 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 that's why it matters how you treat people. That's why it matters how you treat your family. That's what it, it matters most what you're like at home. That's where it matters the most. Let's stand for prayer. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for all these things. Um, God, your, your word is just so full of wisdom. There's not a... Uh, there's not a question we have in our minds and hearts, Lord, that your word doesn't have an answer for. Um, Lord, we may not all aspire to be leaders, but I think we all aspire to have spiritual maturity. We all aspire to be better people than we are. We all aspire to be the kind of uh, person that uh, is wise and loving and kind and honest. We want to be um, who you want us to be, Lord. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who's not sure about all these things, but they, they know they're not, the life they have isn't the life they, they want. They want something different. And Jesus, you promised to, you give people new life if they would come to you and put their trust in you. And Lord, for those of us who've tasted this new life and have experienced it and walk in it, Lord, we can all honestly say we just want more of it. We want more of Christ in our lives. We want more of Christ in our hearts. We want more Christ-likeness in how we live. We want more of Christ in our homes. So Lord, I pray you give us that. That we'd be a godly people uh, that would reflect the, the glory of Christ in the church and in our homes and in all our relationships. Um, Lord, help us to honor you. Thank you for your word. Grant us your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.